Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Finding Backcountry Podcast. I'm I'm starting to scare myself with how uh, consistent I'm getting again with these. And so, like I've said, this is the podcast that just keeps you guessing. You don't know if I'm going to go dormant for six months or <laughs> record eight episodes in a week. So, uh, but I've got, it's easy when I got guys like uh, Jeremy Duggar to come on the line. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing really good, Dustin. How are you? Good, man. A uh, couple, couple of diehard elk guys, right, Duggar? <laughs> I understand you. I understand you used to be come to the dark side. Yeah. yeah. You, I would call you a former elk guy now, man. It's, you know, you never see it coming and you don't think it'll happen to you, but what we were trying to remember when I was down there in New Mexico and I drew a, a tag down there close by and you, um, God, I can't say enough about, uh, you know, the willingness you had to just drop everything for literally an entire day and come, show me around a hunting unit i mean there's you know there's whatever right there's friends that'll that'll talk to you and tell you where to go there's there's guys that will they'll go with you when they draw a tag right but then there's yeah. guys like you that that you literally dropped everything when you didn't had no interest you didn't have a tag you didn't nothing i think it was um you know probably just uh love for mule there you wanted to go and you know show another a guy a good good hunting spot or whatever but um, yeah, yeah. You you drove me around, and at that time, you know, I was probably didn't appreciate the tag that I had, and I was kind of, oh, you know, I don't know what I said specifically, but I was still hooked on elk a little bit back then. And I yeah, you gave <clears throat> you gave me, you gave me a little bit of crap about that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, I'm sure those files have been deleted, so you can't reference yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> right on. that's the problem with the podcast right i mean it's probably always out there i don't know yeah it, it is for sure i don't even know how this podcast thing works man i just upload them through something and they go and who knows if i don't know but, it's it's cool to listen to them for sure i've listened to a couple of your recent ones and stuff and it's i love them man it's awesome well thanks man yeah i like i opened with i'm a little inconsistent um speaking of inconsistent and being consistent uh though I, I obviously you and I chat back and forth from time to time and I messaged you the other day for something or whatever, but I've started noticing you popping up on uh, social media, you digging up the old archives, right? That's caught my interest lately. Yeah, I am. You know what? I, I, if you want, I can tell you a little bit about why. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, not that I care cause it's all these, you know, back footage, uh, videos of, huge bucks that you were chasing or bucks that you and Mark had killed or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear why. Yeah. It's real, real simple. Very, very selfish reason for sure. I, I have footage on many DV tapes that I filmed on a Canon XL one. I've got uh, SD cards full 
that I filmed on a different, you know, a more modern camera. I've got two computers with different pictures on them. I got a phone with some pictures on them. I got uh, photo albums with trail cam pics, you know, and all this stuff. And it's, it finally got to me. I'm fixing to turn 51 and I, it's, it started to feel really disorganized. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I don't want to lose any of that. I, sometimes I scare myself with my bad memory and I don't ever want to forget, you know, cool things that happen. So I don't know. I just got this, you know, this urge to, to, to find a location and what, what better than Instagram. I, I wished I was, I wish I could make my own software program and avoid Instagram and just build this really cool program on my computer. Right. And, and put, put pictures and, and, and videos and, and have a place for a good text box and all this stuff that Instagram has, but I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm just a, I'm just kind of a, a not very smart mule deer guy. So I thought, you know what, now, you know, now's the time. This is Instagram's a great place to just kind of compile all this stuff so that it'll, it'll, it'll stay archived and honestly, I, I think that I'm probably having more fun going back and looking at all of it than anybody that's looking at it because, <laughs> because now I can look at my page and it's all right there. You know, I can click that video over and over and that picture over and over and I can remember all that stuff. And, and I feel like at that point I haven't lost it all. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Well, I speak for the masses when I say, please, please continue on with what you're doing. <laughs> I, I haven't even, I haven't even got warmed up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and that, man, I, that like, again, this all ties into, you know, you going out with me and, and, and when I drew this tag, right. And it, it won't take a genius to understand maybe one of the, you know, five or six units that I could have been in and it doesn't matter. Right. But these is, this was your home court and I could tell it right off. Um, you sat down on a map and I mean, you just went on and on and on and you were like, Hey, you know, we're over the dash of the truck kind of off the highway there. And you're like, Hey, this is traditionally, this is pretty good. People overlook this. Hey, you know, if it gets, if it gets real, you know, whatever, a lot of pressure, you could hit this and check these little drop. And I'm just like sitting there like eyes wide open. Um, you know, it's like someone explaining a house that they've lived in for 30 years and all the little nuances and things about it or whatever. Like you're like, Hey, you know, this door squeaks. And if you step on this, you know, I, I knew all the little boards in my house growing up. Cause if you were sneaking in at night, you know, you had to know where to step or whatever. And that's how you were with this unit. And you're just like, Anyway, my point is, and what you're, uh, you know, what you're uh, confirming as well is, man, you're just about it. Like you, you spend a lot of time in the hills, uh, you know, whether you have a tag or whether you're just scouting and finding these bucks down there in your, in your home country. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell that it showed that I truly love it. I mean, you know, I'd like to say that it was because I just really wanted to spend a lot of time with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you were you were a pretty good excuse for me to get out in the woods right now no, i love you brother like you know i do but yeah i just love being out there and, and that's you know honestly that's not even my favorite unit but i i have spent a lot a lot of time out there yeah. and um to, to go into that a little further it's funny i get you know there's from time to time i'll ask, you know i'll get the question how do you you know how are you so consistent with finding or, or you know getting you know killing large bucks and uh, that's an easy answer for me. It's because I'm consistently irresponsible. And and what that means is, is when I should be going to church, I'm out looking for meal deer. When, when I when when I should be spending time with my family, I'm out looking for meal deer. When I when I when I should be at work, I leave early to go out and look for meal deer. And 
it's funny because you know it's it's that's all it is i mean there's no secret sauce or, or ingredient at all the, the, the more that you're out there the more time in the woods um the, the better you're gonna be whether you're trying or not it's just the love of being out there and and, and the, the massive amount of time that i've spent out there that, that causes what happens you know what i mean yeah yeah, it's it. well, it's chicken or the egg. It's like you know, do you do you start understanding mule deer because you're out there, or do you are you out there because you under you know, are you in a certain place because you understand mule deer, and it just it just feeds off of off of itself until you know finally just things click and um, yeah, you, I mean irresponsibly it it it's uh it's it's the it's almost the only you know i've done almost 100 of these i would say 80 percent of them are with guests like you who know their craft and are dang good at you know whatever it is and it's almost the only thing that's consistent that i've heard or found across this many interviews and people that i know that are um, as successful as you are is they put in the time like there's no again you could go guided and that bypasses that but we're talking the DIY guys, you know, like you and me, and there's no, there's no substitute. There's no way around time for the most part, you know? Um, yeah. Especially now that they've banned trail cameras, right? Like, is that, uh, you can still run them in New Mexico. So far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fearful that that might, you know, leak over into our states from or our state from Arizona and, and Utah and stuff. So I love trail cameras. And I don't know how how deep you want to get on into that topic, but it'll make me a little sad. I won't lie. Well, it at, just, the, at the same time, I'm still going to be out there. I'm still going to be probably one of the guys that's out there more than than almost everybody else. And so, you know, you have you're, I'm going to have to adapt if that happened. And and I was doing it long before the trail cameras came along. Yeah. It's just that the trail cameras allowed me to spend a little more time at church and with my family and all those things. Right. <laughs> yep. So, so it may, I may become more irresponsible without <laughs> trail cameras, but you know, I've always said that, you know, my, my technique is, is I triple team. I, I spend time in the woods. I run trail cameras and, and they leave tracks and, and the three big T's there. I mean, those are, those are the keys to my success, but the time in the woods is the big one because the tracks and the trail cameras are just come with stamps. time and time. Yeah. yeah, there's stamps on the time in the woods. And so, you know, I, I, if, if that's what it comes to, I, I'm not going to stop. That's for sure. Well, you know, you, it, that, that's a tough one. I, I don't, I don't want to dive into the trail cameras. I mean, we, we can, but it's so, you know, it's kind of one of those things like there's no right answer. Right. And so the conversations that I've got into with guys I'll be honest, man. Like if I was, if I was on some panel right now for whatever, you know, the state of Wyoming, it's irrelevant really, because we don't have the issue. Like I know you guys sometimes have down there where water's um, scarce or whatever, but if right. I was on some panel and I had to vote one way or the other, I'd get rid of them. Right. And it's, and it's partially because of what you just said, um, guys like you are still going to get it done because it's not what you rely on. And yet you also said, Hey, that's been part of my success, man. And, and why do I not agree with, or, or why would I ban them because of that? Well, you have to draw the line somewhere. The cameras are getting out of control, right? With, you know, you're just almost like a leisurely guy that probably, you know, I don't know how many cameras you run. It doesn't matter. Right. The principle though, is that you can run them 
at scale and not be out there in the woods to, to get something for it. Right. Yeah. You have to be there once. Um, you yes. know, but, and of course, like the transmitting cameras, that seems to be pretty obvious to, to both sides, you know, we're both kind of on, Hey, like, you know, you can't just be sitting at home and, you know, whatever, get a, I don't know, but, but there's people who think both ways and I, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's tough. You know, would I, would I ban, would you, would you ban scopes on muzzleloaders in New Mexico? Or would you, re would you ban scopes on muzzleloaders if they went back to the open site deal? Right. Yeah. The point is where do you stop? Huh? Right. Right. It's like, it can just keep, you know, Oh, the primitiveness. Well, like, you know, yeah, but we're not going to stop driving our trucks, you know, or whatever. Like, it's just, I don't know, man. Like it's such a, and I don't fault the, I don't, I don't fault them for banning them. I don't also, whatever, if they're going to have them, they're going to have them. And I've ran them, right? I'm, I yeah. was just like you when I lived down there, man, we, we used it to kill a few bucks. I'm not going to lie to you. Like there's a couple deer that would not be dead or we wouldn't even know about for, if it wasn't for trail cameras. Um, yes. Right. And so you'd think I'd be a guy for it, but I'm like, well, you know, I think all things being equal, this would be a good place to draw the line because I still have, you know, I'm still going to get out and get it done. I feel like, or whatever, but anyway. Yeah. Look, can I give you a couple of, a couple of two cents worth? Please, please. Yeah. So, so a couple of things, number one, I've never, I've never ran the transmitting cameras. I'm too poor for that. <laughs> the, the other thing is, and it's mostly because I use a lot. So um, I listened to your podcast with Carter, which I loved, man. He's, he's just, he's an awesome guy. And uh, you know, you were, you asked a question about, you know, if someone or actually a listener asked, you know, if there's a lot of water, you know, too much water. How do you run trail cameras? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was talking so probably he, about Wyoming, I think. Yeah. So he went into, a, I mean, he gave the most excellent answer you could ever give to that question. But all the time I'm thinking to myself, man, Carter doesn't run very many trail cameras. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I run a lot of cameras. I mean, there's almost not enough water to put on all my, to put my cameras out. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of hate to admit that, but I'm like, I would just plaster the place. And then, <laughs> then once I found the, once I found the buck I wanted to kill, I would gather all those cameras and, and run them right into his living room and really get to get a, get a good idea, you know? And right. so I'm aggressive with that, but here's the, here's the flip side to it. A little story really quick one that can go with that. The buck that my daughter killed last year, that real massive, mm -hmm. I call it a little massive buck. It's not a real big deer but i posted it on instagram and she's there with it. it's got a lot of mass and big old eye guards on it yep so that buck um mark and, and actually mark specifically let that buck go in 2019 on that same hunt because we had all those big deer that we were chasing and you know it was kind of on the not the no shoot list but we left a really big uh boone and crockett typical in there and when i killed my non-typical to me, it was, it wouldn't have mattered whatever buck showed up first. I was going to shoot it because they were, the typical was really big as well. So we ended up not killing the big typical and we ended up not killing the little massive buck with the big eye guards. So sure enough, my daughter Morgan, she draws that tag, you know, the very next year, last year in 2020, I guess it's two years, two, two falls ago now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it was 19 and 20. And so, you know, what do I do? Of course, I'm going to, as soon as she draws the tag, you know, I let the deer get grown and I run trail cameras down there. And we put them, I usually put them up after the last season prior to mine 
for theft reasons and stuff like that. So, so I, I ran some cameras down there specifically to find that really big, uh, typical buck. What happened was, is the day before her season was to start, I go down to pull my cameras and guess what? Somebody stole them all. Mm. So here I am in the situation we're just talking about with no Intel whatsoever, whether that big typical is alive or not. And so it became a hunt. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's like, well, I told my daughter, I'm like, well, dang, I mean, you know, I, I don't really want to go anywhere else because I don't think there's as big of a buck in the unit as what, what this buck was last year. So we need to get after it. But Long you, story short. You don't, you don't even know if he's alive. Or don't even know if he's alive. Okay. Don't even know, if, don't know if he's alive to this day. So I was planning on pulling trail camera cards and, and knowing whether he was alive or not alive, which would then tell me, Hey, do I need to stay here and waste my time? It's only a five day hunt. So do I, do I need to stay here and we, you know, we get after this buck for my daughter or do we need to go somewhere else? So we, we opted to stay there and on the five day hunt, we hunted, I guess, three days. And any, anyways, in the meantime, I had, I'd had a camera that was kind of just a little bit off the beaten path that hadn't got stolen. And we had gotten a picture of the little big eye guard buck. So I, so we, we determined that that buck was there for sure. Never could turn up the big typical. And she ended up shooting that, that buck with the, the, the big mass and the eye guards. But just, just to, to make a point there, I mean, sometimes that kind of stuff happens to you anyway. And, and here you are in square one. And I mean, I'm talking, we figured that out the day before the hunt started. Yeah. So, 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 but, but I still got after it. I'm like, we got, we can't let that, we can't let, leave that alone. We got to try to find this deer. Well, and I think, you know, so, you, you had touched on this and, um, you know, I think this would be a very valuable thing for you to go into specifically, you know, kind of transitioning from, from cameras or there's, I mean, half the listeners now probably live in States that they can't run a camera to benefit them anymore anyway. So you had mm -hmm. mentioned the three T's and, the one of them being uh tracking and i actually so uh it coincides with one of the questions that i grabbed from instagram uh dill dill pill d-y-l-l-p-i-l-l uh how valuable is tracking deer and what has it taught you oh that's cool so tracks for me well first of all i love tracking and when you go out to whenever you go out to track a deer by yourself, there's a lot of times you're not going to ever see them, especially uh, in my younger years, because they're just too smart, especially if you're on a big track and it's a mature buck and stuff, you know? And so as I, so as I tracked them, the thing about that was cool though, was, as I tracked them and I, and I heard you talk about this on a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago that I listened to, when you start to track them, you start to learn how they, uh, use escape and what they how they think and what they do and the and the biggest one being how they watch their back trail mm. and and how they play the wind and that sort of a thing so with that being said let me skip that subject specifically on tracking to go to another one i always use tracks um assess you know always walking tracks never running tracks i've been in the woods with a lot of guys that i thought were pretty savvy and next thing you know they're telling you there's a giant track over here and it's a stodding deer and it's you know so i have to go through the whole explanation if you can't do that it's you know every every deer when it stops the, the hooves splay out and the dew claws drop and you're not going to ever assess the size of that track when it's doing that and say, so hold on say that again a, uh what do you call it a stodding deer yeah, that's what they call that's what they call the the mule deer when they do that four legged stiff jump. They call it stopping. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so I got you. It's, it, yeah. In other words, it, it turns every deer into a big buck track. Yeah. I mean, you can decipher it a little bit, but I mean, it's, it's very difficult because everything splays out and gets larger with the weight that comes down from the deer onto the hoof. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and, and so, and so, um, so I always, you know, if I, if I think that maybe there's a big buck in the area or whatever, I'll wait till that, that track calms down and gets to where it starts to walk. And then I'll normally track them to where they're feeding. And then at that point, you can really assess, you know, the size of that track and, and what you think about it and how you feel about it. And then I'll continue to track them and watch everything that they're eating. I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm one of those guys. And I think that maybe you talk to some guys that are afraid to do this and some guys that aren't, but I'm an aggressive guy. I'll track them right to their bed and jump them. I want to know where they're bedding. I want to know where they're feeding. I want to stand in those positions and look and see if I can glass into those positions <laughs> from somewhere. And I assess all of that. I mean, every bit of it. And so, so I guess, so to sum it up, um, I, you, you learn, oh, and there's going to be a third part of this as well, but um, so, so you learn how to assess tracks, the size of those tracks, and you can figure out behavior when they're calm feeding bedding areas and then you can then you can bump them and you can track them and you can see you know on a five or six year old buck how dang smart i don't know if smart's the word how conditioned they are yeah to avoid danger so you're okay. oh man I'll, I'll i'll let you finish and come back go, go ahead okay the third thing is and i i think i might have short uh, shared this story on a different podcast we have a guy, we, uh, we have two or three guys here that, that live right here uh, around me that are like a hundred times better than I am at this. I mean, they're amazing. One of them in particular has got a collection that's would make your jaw drop. You're not going to ever see it. He's not going to ever show it. You're not going to ever even know who this guy is. He's just, he's just that way. But, um, and I think we all know guys like that, like that probably. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what he does is he'll track these bucks. He'll, he'll go, he'll, he'll track bucks all summer long. You know what? Before I get into this, can I want to say one other thing? <laughs> I was on a podcast. The last, I'm not on very many podcasts, but have you ever have you ever said anything on a podcast that you went back and listened to and went, "Man, that's not a, that's not what I meant at all." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. After 100 episodes, okay. Yeah, you bet. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so I did this podcast with Mark, and, and it was the Wild Initiative last year at the or two years ago at the Hunt Expo, and we we're talking about tracking. And I said something like, you know, you can even track them right after they shed. And I didn't mean to go chase deer right after they shed because that's a really bad idea. <laughs> yes. what, what I what I what what I meant to say was the size of antlers or or antlers in general don't feed intelligence into a deer's brain. So does that make sense? Okay. So so my, my point was you can track them anytime you want to track them. It doesn't it doesn't it's not the size of the buck. It's more I, the age of the buck. I see what you're saying. So in other words, it doesn't matter the time of year, that buck's still going to act the same. Is that what you're meaning? Yes. That's, that's okay. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. So I want to clear that up. Cause I'm sure there's guys out there going, I don't want to ever listen to that Duggar's guy. out there it's, waiting them for to drop yeah. and then chasing them around. Yeah. yeah he's killing them. Like yeah. he's, he's just toasting them. So yeah, anyway. So, so back, back to this fellow that I'm talking about. So he'll track these bucks. And, and what's really cool about this guy it's not just one set of bucks or, or one buck. He'll be all over our units and all over our region tracking bucks. And what, what he does is he tracks them over and over and over. So it would be like, you know, sometimes people talk about checking doe groups during the rut. Yep. 
It's like that, except for he's tracking these bucks. The same, so happens, implying that it's the same deer or just uh, yes, a buck? Well, okay. Well, it's going to be, so So he's going to go to, to area A mm-hmm. and track those bucks one day when he's bored. And then he'll go to area B and track those bucks. And he has names for the bucks. Like he'll have, like if they're in this canyon, he'll call them the this canyon bucks. And if right. they're in this wash, he'll call them the this, this wash bucks. And so he's got these places that he goes to. And, and so he'll track them. Here's the amazing thing. I hunted with him one time and, and I saw this in action. So I'm going to make as may I'm going to make it as quick as I possibly can. So he's like, yeah, we're going to go over here. I've been tracking these three bucks. I know what they're going to do. So we need to, we need to find their tracks first. So we go down and he's got his head hanging out the window. Here they are. We go down a little farther. It was really cool because it was a muzzleloader hunt and this bucket stopped on the side of the road and just beat the tar out of a rabbit brush and shed all of its velvet right on the side of the road. So it was really cool. So he tracks them a little bit. He goes, yep, they're in the bedding area. That's really cool. That's where they usually are. So he said, come on, come with me. So, so we drive way around. I mean, it was like a mile and a half and we get way over there and he gets me on this well location. He said, okay, look, see, see where we were at over there. Yeah, I see where, I see where we were at. He said, look, when I get to tracking these bucks, they're going to come right across this well location. Be ready. (laughs) All right, cool. So, so he takes off, right? So I'm with my son. uh, I'm with my son, Dustin. And, and I'm, I'm on this well location and I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to shoot these bucks because if they come through here, it's thick and, and man, I, I'm going to look for a little better place. So I kind of bumped off the edge a little bit and I'm just not feeling real comfortable with it because I'm not really familiar with that particular country. And so I just settle on this spot and it's kind of off the edge from this well location. So I'm just sitting there with my son and I don't know about, I don't know what went by, maybe 25 minutes. And I look up and there's this buck standing on this little clay hill, like a, like a spaceship just dropped him off right there. Have you ever done that? Just like looked over and like, Whoa, I'm like, where did that thing come from? Yeah. 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 And so I, so, so I told my son, plug your ears. And I shot that buck, rolled him off that clay hill. And it's, it's a, it was a really nice big buck. It was a three point, but had big old eye guards and good mass and just a great buck for that muzzleloader hunt in that unit specifically. And so it was probably another, uh, it was probably another 10, 15 minutes, and here comes this guy. I almost said his name. I don't want to say his name. Here he comes, and he comes down the, the, the clay, clay hill, and he's kind of looking around, and he can't find us. And I yell at him, hey, over here. And he goes, hey, did you get him? i like, yeah, yeah, he's right up off that edge of that clay hill. So he went down, cool, you know, we high-fived. And, uh, and he said, man, you wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe what that, that buck did. He said, I, ju- I jumped to the three bucks. Two of them peeled off, but that's okay because those were the two little ones. And he said, this was the one that you wanted to kill. And he never, hey, mind you, he'd never seen these bucks before ever. In, with his eyes. With his eyes. Nope. So he's coming down, and I, there's probably some little bit tre- of trepidation, like, oh, crap, Doug, did Duggar <laughs> kill a really big deer, and I, he, I shouldn't have done that. He is literally just just pulling this off the track. You got it. That's incredible. He knew what, he, he knew what was going to happen because of all the times that he's tracked those specific bucks and he had conditioned their behavior and they went, they, they use the same escapement every time. So he goes, man, you wouldn't believe what this buck did. You know, he peeled off and he goes, he ran right to your tailgate. You could have been standing, standing in the bed of your truck and shot him at like five yards. He said, he put on the brakes right at your truck, took a hard left, bumped off the edge right into you and you killed him. And he's like, I don't know how you did that because I wouldn't have sat there, you know? And I'm like, well, man, I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to see, you know, where I was at and whatever. So sure enough, I get up and I see where the tracks had come to the truck. It was just really cool. So what I'm trying to say is I have adopted that technique myself. And so, and me and Mark, and we, we employed it 
uh, one year in that same unit and Mark almost shot a great buck doing it. Some, some things happened. We didn't get it done, but it, it was the same technique. So, so here's the answer to that question. That was a long answer, but I, I track them for size to know if there's a big buck in the area. I track them when they're calm so I can learn how to glass into bedding areas and feeding areas. And I track them to know what they're going to do when I track them during hunting season. That's kind of how I do it. Well, and holy cow, man, a lot to unpack there. That's just very valuable, right? Um, the fact that you, you talk about not being afraid to be aggressive with them. What, what time of year generally would you be doing this? I mean, I know all year or is that it? Is it just all year? doesn't matter. You have no, like, or is there a certain time when it picks up or. Yeah. So, so never in the winter cause the ground's frozen and hard okay. snow on the ground, crunchy, you know, I, and, and they're on the winter range. And so I, I prefer to leave them alone, which is, um, kind of goes with, you know, don't track them right after they shed. So I'm not <laughs> going to track them right after they shed. Uh, and so, you know, it's going to go into like midsummer. So I would okay. start liking, I would start like June 15th to, to July 1st. And especially anytime after a fresh rain, I'm gone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, man, it, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, different scenario, but it reminds me the same feel of a time I was talking to, uh, South Cox and he was talking about an area that we, uh, used to hunt over Nevada, uh, before it kind of got overran. Right. And he would talk about walking up onto these basins, like opening morning, right. Of a 10 day backpack bow hunt. And there would be 20 bucks right back, back in the heyday, there'd be, you know, 20 bucks bachelor group of bucks in these, in these backcountry basins and knowing right off that that's just a recipe for disaster and that there was no possible way that he was going to kill a buck. He, he started saying, he's like, Nope, Nope, Nope. He's like, I just start walking right at him. <laughs> He's like, I take off right through the middle of that basin, clear out in the open, and I just beeline it right for the middle of them and just scatter them like, you know, like cockroaches, like, nope, break it up, boys. Like, and I'm just like sitting there, you know, I was probably, you know, whatever I was at the time, 20 something, not knowing anything about hunting. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that would be, you know, I'd be terrified. I'd be sitting up there just blowing stock after stock after stock on 20, 20 head of deer. And he's like, nope. Cause, cause he was smart enough and he was mature enough. Like you were to know that that buck that you kick up in your bed, right. Or that bachelor group of bucks, guess what? Give it a day or two. And what are they going to be doing? The same exact okay. thing. There be what I mean. Give me your answer. Like how how long would you say you kick a buck out of his bed and he feels like he's being followed, which they don't like? How what what would you expect that buck to be sitting back in that bedding spot? How the next day? The next day, right? Yeah, the next day, right? And so uh, uh, as as long and that would be as long as you don't as long as you don't relentlessly track him. So here's the qualifier for that. I'm going to end up giving too many tips here if I'm not careful, but. I, I shouldn't even say that because I don't want to sound like I'm I'm just some you know God's gift to mule deer hunting because I'm not. It's just you know I'm aggressive and I do these things the way I do these things and they work. So I, I often hear and it may be different sizes of thick group trees that that I deal with. But in our neck of the woods, you'll hear a guy say, "Well, you know, there's no glassing, no way to glass this buck. He, it's all the country's flat." 
it's it's thick you know it's kind of rolly but i'm not going to ever get that deer this is one of those deer that nobody's ever going to kill because he's in this thick sea of pj and there's just no way to glass him you know what i do to that deer i track him all day long until he's fed up with staying in that group of trees and he runs over underneath a rim and then and then we get on the rim the next morning and we shoot him yeah so so i would just call that you know and that's another way to track i guess that would be number four you know you can employ that tactic and and so so if you employ that tactic of course that deer ain't going to be back the next day so you better dang well know how to get that done because you've messed everything up if you can't now a lot of times that's a group effort so maybe i've already got somebody over on that mason they're bored as heck because they're just going to be sitting over there and they might be sitting over there for a long long time and and you know and and so pretty soon they look down and here comes a large buck with me right on its tail and boom it's, it's over and so you can track bucks if you so so in other words a lot of times in that thick stuff they'll circle you and they'll circle you and they'll j hook you and they'll circle you and they'll, they'll use the wind and they'll watch their back trail but they're they'll only put up with that so long if you relentlessly do that pretty soon they're going to vacate that and you know sometimes that's what we got to do to get them into a killable situation well and no and so, di- no, so, no different than those bucks that that south is is doing his little trick too, you know, if you, Mm -hmm. if you kept blowing them out, you know, multiple times in a day or day after day after day in the same basin, well, eventually they'll move on and they'll feel that pressure. Right. And they'll, they'll spill off into their secondary or, you know, their third, uh, place drainages or whatever. That's kind of their escape drainages or whatever too. But, you know, he was talking like, like you said, kind of the first, the first time or the first shebang or the opening, you know, opening morning of a, a 10 day hunt where he's like, no way, man. Like I'm not worried about them not coming back and I'm only going to do this once kind of a thing and figure it out, you know, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's incredible, man. And then the other thing that caught my, my attention was then using that obviously to learn that bus bucks escape route, you know, and, you now, and now you've got his playbook. Uh, you got his play. You got his playbook. I'm never afraid to do that because all you've done is is teach that large animal, that smart old buck, that he fooled you one more time. Yeah. He did it to you again. Yeah, because they, they they don't they don't understand the game completely. They just no. understand the the basics of it. And so, you know, it's it's like um, it's like the I hate to even use the word um, the f bowl the fire bowl. Um, but the reason that that worked, right? If you are you familiar with that, with those guys that killed that bull, and it's been blown way out of proportion. What is it called again? The fire bull. Oh yeah, it wasn't that hush. Hush. Yep. So okay. the reason yeah. that that took off, right, is because part of just the 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 whole story, the way that played out, right? He he sits a a spot, and I'm completely paraphrasing this because I haven't watched. I watched it once, right? And this is probably ten years now. But he, he plays it in one spot. And they're, you know, love him or hate him. And frankly, I'm not a big fan. Uh, but they there's some value in what happened here, right? And he sits a, whatever it was, a water hole or a wallow or something on an elk hunt with his bow. Bull comes in, hits it, makes a bad hit on it. But they think he's probably still alive, I think was the, the kind of the overall feel. And guess what? He ends up killing that bull sitting right back against everyone's it it was like the whole you know everyone was they were probably asking people's opinion and everyone's advice was no that bull there's no way he's going to come back to that same spot after not only being blown out but having shot at him and hit him right 
Right. He came right back to the same spot, and they tipped him over in the same exact way that it happened the first time. And here's here's the takeaway, and it, it reminds me of what you're saying is, like, as far as that bull understands, if he's still breathing and he's on his feet, guess what? It worked. Right. Whatever he did or whatever happened was a was a W for him and an L for you. He doesn't understand that, oh, you just wounded him, and you're going to go sit back in the same spot or whatever. And so he just knows that he got away. And it's like, it reminds me of what you're saying with these bucks. Like, yeah, you can track them, you know, and they don't, they're not smart enough to know that you're just gathering data that you're going to come back with a tag in three weeks and tip him over. Um, he just knows that danger came and uh, I did this and I got away. And you're like, you said, you're almost, you're almost writing his playbook for him at that point. That's exactly right. Don't, don't ever give him too much credit, but, but respect them and give them credit. You know, you know, it's, it's just simple as it's as simple as clearing present danger um, for, for a deer or any prey animal. They use the, they use their senses, you know, and specifically smell. I mean, obviously everybody knows that's the number one, but they're sight and they're hearing as well. Yeah. And they use that, they use that to stay alive. So they're constantly using that to stay alive when they have stayed alive then that's a win for them. Like you said, it's a W and, and generally speaking, they'll just go right back to their, their habits and go, yeah, cool. And they'll just continue on and continue to radar everything. And when that danger comes again, boom, you know, they're kind of conditioned to go, well, okay, let's do that. And they do it. And pretty soon. Yeah. You, you have wrote their playbook for them and it's pretty dang effective. It really Cause, is. Cause I mean, let's, let's think a day in their lives. Right. And they're only getting chased by humans, probably a percentage of the time compared to cats, for example. And it's like, oh, a cat jumped out of, you know, behind a bush. Like they, they did, they got to keep living and they know that there's danger out there, you know? And so they just, they're just going to go back to doing the same thing that got them through that, you know, that last time and the time before that and the time before that within reason. So you got it. Oh man. Awesome. So somebody else, uh, let's see here. Hey, hey before you oh, move yeah. on, I just want to say deal pills. Awesome. I know him. He's from around here. He's a stud. Yeah. I, he's good. We interact a lot on social. I recognize the name. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so back to your story, um, with your daughter and this, this is plays into this and we didn't, you know, you touched on a few tactics there, but I want you to dive more into it with this question. Uh, pistol underscore sand was asking, what is his preferred tactic when he can't find a buck he knows is in the area? And I think that that was, you know, you could either continue on with that hunt of maybe list, you know, a couple, two or three things you did to, to find that buck or just generally speaking, when you know there's a buck in an area and you can't find them? Okay, yeah, I'll, I can answer that generally and specifically as to what happened. So so generally speaking, I walk under every single tree as fast as I possibly can in the whole area. I just I just start, I go. Because a lot of the times, now, now you have to remember too that I'm speaking about my neck of the woods. Yeah, and so, which is north, <laughs> what, what do you call that, north? Uh, so I, yeah, be nor it's northwest New Mexico. Um, we we can do it here in in Arizona, you know, and, and that's so, kind of my playground. So, hey, this is this is Southern Nevada tactics too. You know, this sounds just like the way they're killing these big bucks down in the southeast corner of the state down there too. So, yeah, Southern yeah. Utah. This would apply to a lot of the units in Southern Utah. Yeah, um, he might not like like my answer at all because it pertains to hard work. And, and that's not directed. That's not directed at him specifically. That's directed at, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's real easy to go. Well, man, you look across this vast, vast country 
And, and even if you know that this buck, if he is truly alive, he's going to be somewhere in, in these areas. It's still big. You know what I mean? And so, and so a lot of people at that point, and I've been guilty of it. So I'm just going to say right now in my younger years, and, and even sometimes now, um, these deer have a way of beating you down right back to your camp. Like it's real easy just to go, well, I guess we'll go have a really good lunch and we'll, and we'll talk about what we're going to do more than we'll do what we should do. <laughs> let's go. Hey, let's go be really cool, really awesome planners of, of, you know, let's make this plan and let's, let's talk real smart to each other around the table, you know, in the wall tent and, and let's just, you know, kind of throw that around and see what happens. And next thing you know, you wasted two or three hours, right? Uh, I don't do a lot of that anymore. Dug her, I'm out. Old Dug her out here pres- prescribing hard to swallow pills. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and honestly, that's what, that's what we did whenever I killed my buck in 19 with Mark, me and Mark and uh, old Bailey, we did a lot of that. I'm telling you right now, and Bailey did most of it, but, but what I do in, at that point is I break down that country and I start trying to get, I start just, I just start hiking and it's not hunting at that point. It's not. It's just hiking because, because what we have to do is we've got to get that deer on his feet and get him moving. And that's when the game starts. The game doesn't even start until you, until you've got that deer located up, jumped in, whatever it may be. Right. And so, so a lot of times in those situations in our necks of the woods, that's what we do. We just start hiking country as ridiculous as that sounds, but pretty soon you jump them like, Oh, oh, that's, that's where he was at. Okay. We got him. We got him jumped now. He's heading this direction. And then that's when the planning starts. That's so, when you start to, to employ the tactics, you know? So me obviously thinking back to my own hunt down in that exact country. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, you, you and I sat down and we went over some, you know, we, we did some plan. It wasn't planning. It was just, you were just showing me locations or whatever. Um, I fell into that trap for sure. Right. Where, you know, I was in a new, completely new area. Um, I can't remember. Did I make a early scout trip down there for a weekend or something? I can't remember if I did or not. Anyway, seems like seems like you might have. I, th- I think I did. Um, anyway, but but regardless, I get down there. You know, five day hunt is all you have, and you almost feel like it's over by the time it starts if you don't come out of the gate seeing deer or bucks like we didn't. And so it was just like I felt lost. Like I felt. Like I was hunting deer on the moon and there was no point in being out there, honestly. And, and, right. you know, and, and at the time, that's how you feel looking back. I mean, you proved it. Like I had, I, I finally gave up. Okay. This is a perfect example of me just sack, like completely giving in on my goals and my, you know, my expectation for myself that we went back and killed the only buck that we had seen like the only you know it was just a little baby two and a half year old that had no business and i hate to say this but he had awesome genetics because he was like a two by four already on one side does that break (laughs) your heart but um, no i was there remember yeah yeah i walked up well i wasn't there when you got him but i walked up the draw whenever you guys took care of him yeah and we you know actually carried him out right and we you know it's not like i'm not saying i meant to kill a you know thought he was a 170 or whatever i knew exactly what he was when i pulled the trigger i had just been defeated right for four and a half days i was just beat down with this unit and so what i'm getting at is after hearing you say that like the the overwhelming part for me was like literally where do i start Right. Like why, why one Canyon over the next? And maybe your answer will be, 
it doesn't matter. You just have to start and you could aimlessly end up walking around for five more days in draws that don't hold deer. Or So what, what would have been your answer again, looking back, like, you know, just a, a more broad, like, Hey, let's start at the 30,000 foot view. And I know you gave me specific, like, Hey, try here and here and here, but would you just literally just go start walking all those? So, or yeah, is there, that, that, or is that, there something, would... is there something that you're like, Hey, like, yeah, but there's going to be a one area that has something a little different or something that I'm looking for. Is that, is that part of it? Or is it literally just, you know, start kicking deer up or whatever? Okay. So I, I'm the wrong guy to ask and I'll tell you why, <laughs> <laughs> because I never hunt far from home. Yeah. I, I, I'm a home man. I'm a home body. I, I stick right here. And, and that's what I'm going to probably always do. Not that I don't venture out occasionally, like occasionally I'll have preference points. I got to burn or stuff like that, you know, and I'll be on Colorado, you know, totally differently on a migration trail. So it's a totally different gig and stuff. So if I would have been in your shoes and I would have showed up down here, I probably would not have just taken off and walked aimlessly because I, I mean, that's, that's going to be a tough gig or I don't know, maybe I would have, but I mean, I, I wouldn't say that that's the answer for a non-resident being lost out in this unit and not knowing what to do. I mean, you could waste five days easy and, you know, never see a, a buck worth shooting. That, and would, I, that would be, and now, I, but for me, for me, it's different because, you know, we're, we're after either specific bucks or we're after, you know, we're hunting areas that we know could hold them. Um, you know, if we draw those tags and stuff you know, from, from historical standpoints and that stuff. So you were behind the eight ball. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there was a whole lot that you could have done. I wouldn't go to Nevada and go, you know, three, four days in, not be able to find a deer and just go, well, I'm just going to start walking all over that mountain yeah. or, or, or maybe, or maybe I would, I don't know. I'm not really sure what I would do, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that that would be the best tactic to employ. Yeah. A lot of the country that you were in was like glassing stuff. It would have been, you know, it would have been more, more apt to, to use your glasses and just bust it out that way, which is, I think what you guys mostly that's, did. That's mostly what we did, you know, hike to the end of a big point, you know, where you could see for a reasonable amount of distance and just, just hope and pray you saw deer moving. And, you know, we didn't. And, and, and a lot of it, I think like, you know, just that, that year specifically, we were just in trouble, um, you know, coming down there, yeah, all things considered, right? We, I was in trouble. You would have been just fine because of what you just said. And and I don't think that you're the wrong guy to ask that question to, like you said, going back to your answer, because that's another thing. One of the other things that I pull out from guys who get it done consistently the most is guess what? They don't do a lot of jumping around. They just don't like they, they, yeah. they're consistently hunting the Wyoming backcountry, and that's it. Or they're consistently hunting the desert country down there and they have, you know, the two or three units they might be checking on and bouncing back and forth like you are, right? Or, you know, whatever, right? Like, but they don't get cute with all these different, you know, unless they're guys like, like Carter, who can hunt as much as he wants, right? Like, let's be honest, if he draws a new unit in Colorado, he can use the whole hunt, you know, or, or a month before if he wanted you know, and I'm not saying he does this, but I'm just saying like guys like him that can just spend, you know, Randy Omer or whatever, like he can go scout for an entire month of August before the, the bow hunt opens and find out where the deer are or whatever. Right. Um, yep. you know, and, and so that's, that's different, but the point that you brought up is it, that's a perfect answer. I think you're the a great guy to ask that question to, cause it just drives home that point of, 
you know, get familiar with, with what, what you can, you know, hunt close to home or what's going to be your home hunt or whatever, because man, it just, it, it, it's the game changer, you know? It is. Yeah. And by the way, Carter better be looking for me at Booner three point right now. <laughs> he, he, so he says his question was, tell him, tell him he needs to call every three point he can. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, that's not a question, Carter. <laughs> I'm going to call him up and bring him into a truce with as many, as many guys that are, are, are great mule deer hunters like him that I can get. And I'm going to get them all to, 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 uh, commit to never shooting another deer again any of them until one of them kills a boon or three point <laughs> well <laughs> there, I, if that'd, that, be cool. that'd be that'd be a great game wouldn't it did you end up yeah it would um did you end up tipping it's kind of like like oh let's all go out and hunt with our 30 30 uh lever action or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. let's limit ourselves because we're getting too good at this you know if that's where this podcast is gone then i think we need to wrap it up here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no please please don't like i said I, if i ever come off as as, as that kind of guy that thinks no. he knows like he reached to the phone and slap me because no, it's just it's humorous for me for sure i'm just trying to be funny about I it know. but yeah, I don't know if one exists, but Hey, let me back to your question. Let me, can I, can I answer that Please. for that fellow just a little more? Mm-hmm. So I, so what we did on my daughter's hunt. So that country was, um, you know, it was small enough that it was still big, but it was small enough that, that we did run some patch of trees and we tried to locate that deer, couldn't locate the deer. And, and there hold on one, the, the only, okay. so, so the only, let me, let me make sure I'm on the same page. The only data that you knew on this buck was that he had been there the year before, right? We had, we had the year before trail cam picks. And then one of my cameras that didn't get stolen had gotten a picture of him. Okay. So we knew this, the, the, now I'm talking about the real heavy little buck with the big eye guards. I'm not talking about the booner typical the monster. So the whole time we're in here, we're hoping that that's, that that's what we're going to turn up. But that, but, but the, the two deer had ran together previously. Um, kind of same, same, same country, but not together. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So, 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 so I guess, uh, to preface it even more, uh, my daughter on the fourth going into the fourth day of the five day hunt had decided, Hey, if we, if we see this heavy buck with the big eigers, I'm going to shoot it. I want to shoot that buck because it was an old buck and it was, it was really cool, you know? So all the meanwhile, I'm still really just crossing my fingers that we turn up that big four point. So, um, on the morning of day four, we got, uh, Tim Bailey came down with us he wanted to come hang out and so i picked we picked out kind of a patch of not a patch let me let me describe it better we picked out a ridge and had some fingers coming off towards us and and that buck you know we knew that that buck frequented that ridge and so i decided that we would lay back that morning and we're just going to glass the heck out of that because tim's a really good glasser you know he's got all the all the great optics i've got 15 swaros morgan set up we're all ready to go sure enough I don't know. I bet we weren't even glassing an hour and Tim found that buck, the, the little heavy buck. Well, so at that point, Morgan, my daughter, she forgets about the four point. Don't really care. I just want to fill my tag, get this, this big old warrior, you know? So <laughs> we made a huge long stock on that thing. It took like almost all day long because of the train, we just couldn't get elevated enough to see that deer. And I just didn't want to blow it. Well, we ended up blowing it like right towards dark. We eased out on the edge and we got too close to him and jumped him and, you know, she couldn't get on him, couldn't get the shooting stick set up. And he hung a left hard and went down the ridge and uh, kind of got away. So to answer the fellow's question, when we couldn't turn him up, 
now spe- specifically speaking about the buck that she just decided she wanted to, to harvest. Um, we did, we did a little bit of hiking, try to bump him, try to get the game afoot. Couldn't do it. So we backed off. We employed glassing tactic. We found him. We didn't get him killed. But what was the really cool deal was whenever we were stalking that deer, we had come up on the south up onto that ridge and it was just covered with bitter brush and stuff. And we could tell that that buck had just been hammering that stuff in there. And then we move, you know, a half to three quarters of a mile to the north. We jump him, mess it up. And he heads right to the south, you know, towards that, towards that end. So sunsets, that was the end of it. Tim went home. Morgan's like, well, what are we going to do, dad? I was like, well, we're going to go glass the end of that point, right? Where that buck ran. I mean, why wouldn't we do anything else? Or, or why would we do anything else? I mean, we know that the buck ran that direction. We know that his tracks were all over that bitter brush on that clay end over there. So I would suppose that that buck's probably just going to chill out over there. And in the morning time, we'll just go shoot him. So we got, got in the vehicle, and got down to the country there, and we drove a little two-track road and got out. And I'm, I'm not even kidding, Dustin. My, my 15s landed on the tripod, hit my eyes, and he was laying right in them. <laughs> And I mean, right on that clay edge, right where we had ran him to the day before. Long story short, we snuck around some big sandstone rock and messed around. We got to within 300 yards. He stood up and she pounded him. Mm. So, so when we weren't able to find him, we employed the tactic of bumping through trees, trying to get the game afoot. And when we, when that didn't work, we decided, Hey, he might be here. And we glassed him up and we found him. And then we just, we ran him, we tracked him to a certain location or, or ran him in that direction and started there in the morning time. And there he was, you know, not, not rocket, not rocket surgery. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and this is, this, this is, I guess going to be an obvious answer, but um, you know, and I, and I know you don't hunt a ton of the high country early season, like, you know, bow hunting stuff, but I mean, what would be your answer for that? Let's say that you spot a deer a big buck in a, a high country basin, you know, one day and then, you know, don't get on him or the hunt hasn't opened yet. And then opening morning comes and he's, he's vanished. Like what, I'm just curious from your perspective, how that answer would change if you were, you know, early season bow hunting up in Colorado. Okay, yeah, I've, got to, I've done that before and I'm, I'll, I, I probably will never do it, do it again. Never say never, but I'm just too old and fat, man. I'm just, I'm just too old and just, it's just too much for me. But, but what I would do is if, so you have to qualify that, you know, hunting pressure, no hunting pressure. If there was no hunting pressure, I would patiently wait for him to show up again. If there was hunting pressure, I would go, well, that sucks. Um, You know, what do we do now? You'd have to, you you know, you'd have to play off that hunting pressure and that's going to be a different situation every time. So I don't, I don't think there's a, a hard, fast answer for that. But if there's no pressure, I'm staying there. And I've done that. I've hunted, I've, I killed a buck at Timberline that was 170. And that when I, when I checked that box, I came off that mountain knowing full well, I was never going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? The, the high country guys are just right now, they're throwing a party, man. I can hear the party favors popping and, you know, the confetti flying. And they're like, yeah, you know, because they don't have to deal with my butt. But, well, you know, in, in conjunction with that, I'm going to tell you right now that some of the largest bucks I've shot, we're, we're really, 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 really close to roads. So, well, and <clears throat> work is, work is a relative term, right? I mean, the interesting thing about what you're saying is it's a lot more skillful and a lot harder to hunt bucks and find them the way that you're talking down in the desert type roll, you know, low, low country, in my opinion, than it is up high, right? Up high, 
and early especially, we just cheat and sit on a point. And now, like you said, with the fancy schmancy optics, like nothing can hide. You know what I mean? Like within reason, like if I can, if it's within two miles, I can probably find it, you know, sort of a feeling, right? Um, yeah. You know, and so it's almost, it's, it's easier, right? I, the, in fact, the older that I've gotten and the more that I hunt the high country, the less that I work typically in the high country, because, you know, I don't, I don't waste time on, on bad stalking situations. If we're, let's talk a bow hunt, you know, in my younger years, it was like, oh, there's a deer and, boom, and you're just gone and you're not even thinking it through. And you definitely don't have any patience and you don't have enough experience to know that, hey, like, first of all, that was his first bed and he's going to move. Right. I had to learn that lesson a whole bunch of times. You know, second of all, even if it is his second bed, that's not the one to go stalk him in. Right. And so the more I the more I do that up there, um, you know, the less I work because I'm like, OK, this isn't even the day to go after that buck. Let's maybe roll around to this other side and see if we can glass something on this other side. Cause otherwise this is not the day to go stock that deer or whatever. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of relative what you're talking about. It really intrigues me. And because it's, you know, it's roll up your sleeves, it's get in the down in the dirt and with the bucks and it's, it's, it's hand to hand combat deer hunting. Right. And yes, it is a loss. It's a lost art. It really is yes. like guys nowadays. They don't want anything to do with that. I was like, I was getting punched in the mouth left and right on that type of hunt. And I didn't, you know, and I kind of grew up similar down Southern Nevada, you know, walking, pounding Hills, kicking deer up, you know, figuring out where they were going and stuff, but, but nothing like that. Um, and so I would argue that, you know, what you're doing takes, a lot more work and skill set um, to be successful at like you have been. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I really do love it. I would much rather, honestly, I would rather be doing that than timberline for sure. Even probably if I wasn't shaped just because I mean, it's my, it's my roots and there, and there was times, obviously most of my life, I was no good at it, but I, you know, I kept at it and I just kept doing it and I kept learning and kept learning. And, and frankly, a lot of the good information that I, that is now in me that I, that I employ when I'm hunting these bucks come from friends and guys that are really good at it, you know? So, you know, it's not all, it's not a hundred percent what I've learned, but it's all tied into what I've learned and what I've been taught. And, uh, it's cool. Hey, I have a question for you about Timberline yield deer hunting. Okay. Have you ever cried up there? <laughs> <laughs> um, weird question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have actually. Oh, uh, let me hey, let, let me rephrase. Have you ever cried over a buck, like a stock that went bad? No, that I I, I cried over a stock that went well. Um, oh, okay, there you go. I, That's better. Yeah, I, I think I talked about this. I was it, when you it caught me off guard at first, and I had to think. Um, I think the only time that I've cried, uh, oh, geez, who knows? Let let me there's a free i'm looking out my window here and there's a freaking owl that's been um speaking of stalking and hunting a freaking owl is hunting my property here um because he knows that i have pigeons that fly around and i let them out during the day sucker what do you do right you can't shoot an owl anyway um there first of all i'll say when the when you're on a grind in the back country especially when you're solo like when you hit the tent at night sometimes dark feelings come up stuff that you're dealing with at home or whatever right like and i i don't have anything specific but maybe i've cried once in my tent at night just missing my mom or something like that right 
Yeah. The yeah. time I cried openly, like on the hillside was, uh, when I killed that big buck a couple of years ago. And that was more of a spiritual thing. Um, I will go to my grave understanding that my grandpa was there helping me with that. He had just, just passed away. And I was just at his funeral, like four days before I went up and killed that big buck in Colorado a couple of years ago. So, um, it wasn't even a choice. It wasn't like I saw it coming or something like I'm going to sit up here and have a good cry. <laughs> it was, just, right. it just caught me mm -hmm. completely off guard. And I just, before I even walked up to that deer, like I, I was like 20 yards from it and I saw what I had done and, and what I was convinced at that point, it just, all of it hit me and I knew what had happened. Um, I just lost it. Like I just sat there and bawled like a little baby, but um, that's incredible. So see, yeah, yeah, that wasn't a weird question after all. That's no. cool. Dude. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's incredibly awesome. Yeah. I, I, I just, I was just kind of being humorous there, but that, that turned into something really cool. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I did. I stocked a 200 inch buck. One of the years I was up there and I spent about eight hours on him and almost died. And, you know, you can say all those things, you know, walked around cliffs. I shouldn't have been walking around, bump, bump my backpack on one. And it almost pushed me off and rolled me down and all, you know, and then I'm there eight hours later at 47 yards and the wind had been perfect all the whole time. And just for some reason, like right when he was fixing to step out and shoot, the wind hit me in the back and that was the end of it. I looked, I looked up at the top dude and I was wiping tears off my cheeks. I, I'm, I'm a big enough man to say it. I was like, Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> so anyway, listen, that, that, we, that kind of heartache doesn't follow me around down in the rim rock. I don't know what it is, man. That stuff <laughs> up there, it gets to you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just you know, it it, it it there's no doubt it's more probably physically exhausting, and and that comes with it a mental exhaustion up in the high country. You know that if you're not, well, I say not prepared for, but just sometimes, like you said, it all accumulates, and like you know, there's just it's just too much, you know, I mean, I've, I've been there and I usually end up quitting or going home or something, you know, stupid when it comes to that. But yeah, I know exactly the emotions that you're talking about where you just, you're just done. Like you're just, yeah. you're just done. And Hey, we put our, we put our life into this. I mean, I was talking to Jen the other day and I'm like, I can't believe how much this is the only thing that I think about, you know? And, and I, I, I distract myself with some of these other projects and hobbies and stuff but meanwhile you know it's almost always just comes back to like okay when am i going to get back hunting you know hunting and hunting mule deer right now and stuff but uh, that's cool yeah and that's that's a good segue i think kind of the last question maybe there's a couple smart alex on here you know my buddy uh taylor calls wondering why the 6.5 creed more is the best caliber <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what I've, I've been really enjoying your memes is that what you call them yeah memes? yeah I'm, memes. I'm here, uh, yeah i'm not even smart enough to know what they're called really but <laughs> but some of the stuff you put on there man is is hilarious but i can tell that the six five cream more is like a a subject i don't know how to else <laughs> oh it, it's a but. subject all right no and i i <laughs> make funny. light of it um it's a it's not as big a deal as i make it probably but it's just a place that you can you know stick a crawl on someone's side um, a little, a little bit. Right. And, and yeah. the, the misconception or the, the reason that it becomes a meme is because it gets probably it's been blown a little bit out of proportion, right? It's kind of like the fireball. Like it just gets exhausting when people are just constantly like, okay, like let's move on. There's other calibers out there. Right. But, uh, and, right. and it's kind of misunderstood maybe the ballistics. Right. And I'm, I've become more of a ballistics guy in the last three years than ever, right. With my job. And so I kind of understand what I would consider the limitations of it. And some guys I think won't admit that or whatever, right. It's not for 
In other words, it's not for tipping an elk over at a thousand yards, right? And right. that's and that that's usually where I try to do my damage is you know giving it crap for being a long range elk hunting thousand yard. Gun. I, I've seen that. So this guy was this guy was for the six five. Oh, he's just he's just being cute. Um, oh. I know Taylor. He's just being cute, but. You know, a couple yeah. guys, if not one, one guy says, if not six, five Creed more than what for an all around cartridge, what, I mean, you, what are you shooting? Uh, one Two, of the two fifty seven Weatherby, but it's, uh, yeah, two fifty seven Weatherby and well, you know, Mark, Mark or, or Adam Weatherby or somebody uh, obviously could quote this better than, than I, but, but somebody said in a magazine article one time that shooting a two fifty seven Weatherby was like Zeus throwing lightning bolts at deer <laughs> yeah. and, and that's what it is. So I, I've got mine. So I actually have mine custom built. It's built on a Remington 700 action. And it's so, so a long time ago, it doesn't even have a synthetic stock on it. It's got a wood stock. And there was this guy that worked there in the, in the gun shop and he was learning to gunsmith. And so he told me, Hey, look, you know, buy the parts, you know, and I'll, and I'll help you buy the parts that you want. And I want to build this gun. I'm going to do all the labor for free. And, um, I just want to, I want you to be my first gun. I'm like, right on. So I said, can you build it on a 700 action? Yeah. And you know, he, he was good. So he, and he, he could tell you everything he put in there from the reinforced recoil lug to the better trick, Timney trigger to the, to the bed of this and the bed of that. And you would understand all that Dustin for sure. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just a guy that's, I'm like, give me a gun that I, you know, shoot a mule deer a long ways away or whatever. So he built this gun and he, I think it was, a. Again, I'm not a great gun guy. I think it was a Krager barrel. Is that how you pronounce that? Krager, yep. Yeah, so it was a Krager barrel. Mind you, this was a long time ago. I don't know how many years, but a lot more than two decades. And so he left it. He goes, I'm going to leave this thing long. And I don't know how long he left it, but it's really long. The barrel, like 27 or 28 inches long. Like he just basically crowned it, put it, put it, stuck it in the stock or whatever. So so I get that gun out. And, and at that time, I was learning how to reload. And I worked up a load. And, and this is no lie. I laid that across a coat off the hood of my truck and shot a five eighths inch five shot group at a hundred yards. That'll do. <laughs> I, I then, and I measured it. I got, I can, I can send pictures if everybody, anybody thinks I'm full of crap. And then I shot a three shot three eighths group and I did that off of a lead sled and stuff like that. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to mess with loads anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was shooting a, I'm shooting a hundred grain triple shocks. I'm only shooting a hundred grain bullet. And I chronographed that thing just shy of 3,800. Absolute and so, fire. So whenever I, so, so basically I learned that, and Hey, this is going to sound real redneck and this will, this will tell your listeners how redneck I am and how much I don't know, but I'm like, okay, well, let's grab a beer bottle that we found on the side of the road and we'll stick the neck in the dirt. And we're just going to shoot at that thing out to 400, 450 yards and just keep aiming at it and see what the trajectory is or whatever. So I learned that I could stick a beer bottle in the, in the dirt with that kind of velocity. And from you know, I could aim right at it from zero to 400 yards at 400 yards. I was putting the dot on my, uh, the, the dot on my, so I have a loophole dot. So it's like a thick crosshair down to a thin with just a dot in the middle, no stadia or whatever you call that, nothing in there. And uh, so I just, I learned I could put the dot on the top of the beer bottle and still break it at four. So if that deer is zero to four, I just put it on him and shoot him. Hey, listen, it's all, and it's all relative. Right. And what I mean by that is, <clears throat> you know, I've, I completely understand turrets and dial up and ballistics and, um, you know, calling wind and all these long range things. Well, the country that you're hunting in down there, I would, I would dare to bet that 
the amount of times that you've even had a chance or the time to shoot at a deer over 400 yards is probably zero and maybe once. I don't know. You nailed it, buddy. One, yeah. one time, my daughter killed one, and it has a turret. I have like a one of those cheaper Kenton Industries uh, aftermarket turrets on that thing. Yep. We sent we sent them all the ballistics. I'm sure guys are laughing laughing at me like that, like this guy's so retarded. But I I just got that thing, and and it, and so I gave them all the, my ballistics, and I came back and I shot it out to like eight or nine hundred yards, and it was like dead on. It was like really impressive. So we've dialed that one time. Uh, Morgan, my daughter, she shot a deer at 508, so right. we dialed it to 500 off the rim. She killed it. We've killed Oric we've killed elk um there's like been five different people that have killed deer with my gun and it's just it's amazing you, you point well, that thing and stuff dies you know right and so the way that you're doing your hunting you know and i've even thought about rebuilding because those, those are the type of guns that we had growing up right we didn't have dial-up turrets and we didn't understand ballistics and trajectory and ballistic coefficients and calling wind and all that because frankly it wasn't it wasn't that important at that time, right? We weren't taking shots over 400. And when you're in those, those tight quarter combat situations, so to speak, um, that's all you need. You need a gun that's extremely flat shooting that you can relatively throw up and not have to do it, you know, cause you got a buck bounding, you know, he's going to be, you know, three steps and he's out of the pinion juniper at 150 and it's now or never. Right. And it's, like you got to lay one on him right now and you got to know that if your crosshairs are on him, it's going to hit him kind of a thing. Um, you, you know, and so I, I, I think that's probably the perfect setup within reason, um, you know, for that type of hunting that you're doing. So, yeah, it's, it's been good for sure. I mean, that buck that I killed in 19 with Mark and Tim, that thing was on a full out tilt run. Uh, Tim had jumped him and I know people probably call me a liar, but I ranged in everything. And that deer was nearly 475 yards when I shot that thing full out running. And I don't think, honestly, I can tell you with, with every honesty I can muster up out of the inside of my body that if I would have had any other gun, I don't think I would have harvested that deer. <laughs> that, that velocity, that velocity, I think just made the difference up. And I'm not, I'm not saying velocity is the end all be all. That's not what I'm saying. I just think in that situation, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a 223 inch deer on the wall. I really wouldn't. Well, and again, or we find, or we find him on the other side of the ridge and someone kills him. That could happen too. Yeah. 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 At those distances though, you're, you know, uh, speed is probably more important than, you know, than, uh, than anything. Right. I mean, ballistic coefficient, if you get that bullet going fast enough at that distance, like you're not really calling wind, you know, up to 400 or so it's, it's usually pretty irrelevant. Um, you know, so that's, again, that's, that's a picture perfect setup for that type of hunting, but. It is. And I guess, I guess a lot of that was luck too. You know, I mean, I, I, I made the best, I made the best shot that I could, but hey, if I mean, you're, if you're anything like, if you're anything like me and you grew up, you know, chasing jackrabbits around in the desert down there or whatever, um, grandpa Whitworth put it best. He said once, um, and I kind of was like, what? But then the more I think about it, the more I, I believe him, like, you know, he would rather, he said, I would rather shoot at a mule deer on a dead run running, you know, 90 degrees, uh, dead, dead sprint than one that's standing still because, you know, it's kind of like swinging on a, on a dove or whatever at that point. Um, you know, you can kind of get some consistency in a fluid motion and you can, you know, execute the shot when you want there. Um, but when they're standing at, you know, 250 yards, that's tough, you know, cause you've got to steady that thing up and that's, that's a pretty tricky yeah. shot. So. Anyway, gotcha. um, well, man, this has been awesome. There, there's one more question here that may, maybe we can wrap up with this and you can just give kind of the, the typical like short answer um, or you can go as in-depth as you want, man. I've got all night. Um, 
I do too. I mean, I'll keep going as long as you want to keep yeah. going. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I'm, I'm a, there's, you know, there's a couple other questions here, but we've pretty much covered them. Um, uh, well, one, one question about your, about your, uh, uh, your optics, you know, and you, you don't, you don't glass the high country the same as you glass the low country that you're in. But, um, my buddy, Jim, uh, I don't know if you know, Jim Bonanno, he's just a guy that I've actually sold guns to at work and one of my really good friends, but. Um, and I think I understand what he's asking here. Maybe you'll understand better, but what dual monocular setup is best inline or side by side. So is he, is that like, like the Koa Highlander, like BTX, like, is he talking like dual monocular setup? Is that maybe I'm not thinking straight. What, uh, do you know what he's talking about? Like. I, I don't, and I may I may be the wrong guy to ask this again, but I can tell you what I use. Yeah, I, but yeah, and I, and I would guess that maybe he is talking about the BTX or the Cowell or Coware, how you say it or whatever. I looked through a BTX the other day. I had a customer bring one to the shop. He had bought one, and I'm like, hey, I want to look at it. So he brought it over. It was pretty impressive. But the thing about it for me is, like in the country that we hunt down here having optics that you can see that far with will get you in more trouble than they're worth. And so, and, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, you're, you know, you're going to walk out to a glassing point or you're hiking and glassing as you're walking or whatever. And, and mistakes are made because, you know, you get those optics and the first thing you want to do is look like three miles across the Canyon over there and start looking around, you know, when, when, whenever you need to be looking like right under you, you know, you always, to me, it always made more sense to look, when you come up to an edge or anything like that, you need to be looking like directly under you. And I'm talking about starting 20 yards and then go to 30 yards and 40 yards and 50. And I mean, I'm talking, try to find a deer that's shootable right under you. And, and so I use, you know, I, I carry on my chest as Swarovski uh, eight power eight by 32. And then I've got also got some Leica eight by 32s, but you know, both those are pretty old pairs of binoculars, but they're great. And then I never leave home without my 15 Swaros. And I've got a couple of different tripod setups for those. And so once I hit everything with my naked eye and then I'll go to like, a you know, my chest binoculars and kind of pick stuff apart with a wider field of view. I'm saying things that's been said a million times. I know I am. No, but, but I, and, I, and then I'll start then I'll start picking things apart with my 15s. And if I can't figure it out with the 15, I'm going to probably walk down the rim and get closer or whatever, because when I see them, I want to shoot them. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I, I don't think you are saying things that have been said before. And specifically the part that I want to emphasize is when you, you talk about walking over a ridge and not only starting close, but just starting with your eyeballs. Right. Um, yep. because I bet you, I bet you a lot of times, I mean, I, I, we do this all the time where we kind of creep over a ridge and you're, you're almost in sneak mode getting over and you just like, you want to get your backpack off and you want to get sat down and you want to get your binos up. Cause you're glassing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and how many times are there, you're in these, you know, now you're looking through um, a funnel and you're not seeing your surroundings and how many times are there possibly deer within that 20 to, I don't know how far you can pick up a, you know, you can pick up deer a couple 400 yards away sometimes that are moving that have seen you and they're on the move that if you just look with your eyes holistically, you would probably pick up. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. Give, give it, I mean, geez, there's nothing wrong with just sitting there, you know, and giving it that 10 or 15 minutes of just looking with me. Maybe that's ridiculous, but, you know, five minutes of just seeing what's going to move from, from your presence now being in that area or overlooking that canyon or whatever, right? 
Um, I, I don't think that that's overly said and, and overly understood. I think a lot of guys just plop down and, and not only start glassing, they, they won't even pull out their eights. They just go straight to their 15s and start picking apart below a tree or something like, well, you know, <laughs> you've kind of skipped to step three or four already, you know? <clears throat> yep. You've narrowed, you've narrowed your field of view down. And while you got your eyeballs stuck in the ocular lens of your 15s, there's a 35 inch buck sneaking off to your left, right off, bumping off the edge of a bench that you never saw. So yeah, it's that movement. You nailed it. It's that movement that, that, that maybe you've spooked a, a, a big buck. And that's, it's that movement that you're kind of looking for because your, your naked eyeballs will pick that out quick. And so you want to be able to just throw down on your shooting sticks and smoke something down if you need to. And I don't think 10 minutes is out of the realm of what I do. I think I, every bit of that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Glassing is, it's very simple, but it's okay. There's, there's a, there's an art to it, you know, being able to walk up on a basin and know how to uh, attack it um, with your optics. There's, there's a right way and a wrong way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And right, you know, rifle hunting so cool because you can, you can be so much more aggressive, I feel like, and, and employ different tactics. And so I'll walk up and scan it. Then I'll use my eights and I'll use my 15s. And, and then if I can't find a deer anywhere for two or three hours, I'll blow my deer stopper called Fonda stress and get everything up in the Canyon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm pretty aggressive, man. And I don't always do that. I mean, I've been on many hunts that nobody's ever seen me do that, but I have done it a lot. Talk, talk about so, that just bri- I, briefly. I mean, meal there how do they respond to that typically if there's a buck you know 400 yards away in a in a little canyon uh what what's the response typically it's better than chunking a rock off in there that's for sure <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot of times those I've, I've got video footage of chunking a rock off and uh on a buck that i thought the tracks went into this little boulder field and i was pretty convinced that he was in there so i climbed up the back side of the ridge chunked some boulders couldn't couldn't get him to come out of there i was like well maybe he's not in there so i bumped it was a small ridge i bumped down to the end of the ridge couldn't find him when i came back i decided i was going to throw one more rock off in there and i'm pretty sure that i hit him with a rock if i didn't hit him with the rock it was like really close right so i chunked this big old rock and this big old 30 inch buck comes come comes out of there he was in there the whole time but he but he knew that hey there's this guy chunking rocks up you know there's a dude up there chunking rocks and then the last thing i'm gonna do is get up yeah I'm not going to, I'm not going to get up and take off run. They know that, you know, those, once they get five, six, seven years old. So the thing about the fond distress call is it's not a rock. It's a, you know, it's a natural sound that they hear if a fawn's getting attacked by a coyote or anything like that. Now, remember, I don't just go do that. That's like a last ditch effort. And that's that. And I use that minimal, minimally. I don't use it very often, but it has been effective. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, I mean, cool. more, more effective than, you know, most guys, they'll glass for an hour or two and they give up and there's there's absolutely nothing in there. They just know it. And then they just start talking, right? You just kind of start, you get lackadaisical and you just, you know, you almost forget that you're hunting and you get screwing around. Your buddy's maybe sitting there with you and you get joking or, you know, and you just start talking. Well, that's, you know, if there's a big buck hiding before, he's like you said, it's like chunking rocks. He definitely ain't coming out now, you know? Right, So right. That's interesting. So, yeah, so that might sound weird to some people, but I, and like I said, I use that minimally. That's kind of an off the wall thing, but that's kind of my progression of glassing when I come up to somewhere to, to answer that guy's question. I'm a Swarovski fan, so I'd probably buy a BTX just because, you know, I support Swarovski and I like them a lot. And how can you go wrong? Kind of, I don't know. I don't know enough. That's a, that's definitely a question for Carter or some of those guys. Those guys are specialists at that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I would, I would say, tell that guy, go, go call 
called Epic Outdoors and ask them those questions and get some good answers from somebody that knows what they're talking about and buy you some good optics. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, yep. You know, the guys that go hunt too, honestly, they come to mind. They've got kind of a full line of, uh, you know, they've got a dedicated optic guy there that they're just, you know, they're in it oh, cool. every, every day too. But. Sorry, go hunt. I didn't know that. Oh, no, yeah, no, no. Pick out, a, pick out a spot like no, that. And hey, go for it, listen, you know? we're sponsored by no one here. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't misunderstand. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Backcountry Logistics is the only sponsor of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, what are Barb, uh, Barb one, B A R R B one, what are three lessons learned from chasing mule deer over the years? This is kind of yep. the, just the summarization maybe of everything that we've just talked about. I feel like you could, you know, and it doesn't have to be three, obviously, but just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, where, where's that- Jeremy Duggar at right now with what he's learned chasing mule deer 51 years. Yep. Uh, number, number one, hunt them where they're at. So, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's an easy one. So, and I guess if, that, this would be pertaining to trophy mule deer hunting, I guess, wouldn't it? That's fine. So, because I mean, if you're, you know, if you're after shooting a one and a half year old buck, I mean, you know, you can drive down any road in any Western state and do that. Yeah. So, so, so what I've learned and, and this will, yeah, this is kind of cool because my dad taught me this and I think that he maybe has never even realized that he taught me this. So I'm going to say it on the podcast and maybe he'll listen to it and he'll know, or else, you know, after this, I'll, I'll call him up and I'll tell him. But my dad was was the number one example to me of hunt them where they're at, because there was times when I was younger, like maybe like all of us, that I just wanted to shoot stuff. You know, I wanted I wanted to fill tags. However, there were there were big deer and it and simultaneously I would complain about how hard it was to shoot these big deer. And, you know, I would I would be leaning towards, hey, let's just stop chasing these big deer and let me go shoot a deer. And my dad would always bring me back to center and go, son, you know, just because we haven't seen them in two days doesn't mean they're not there. Why would we go? And he would always say it like this. Why would we go somewhere else when we know these big bucks are right here? You know, tell me why we would do that. Leave deer to and, find deer. Right. You got it. And you've heard that. And that's, again, that's maybe overstated as well. But for, for large bucks, that's number one for me is I've learned that if you know where a big deer is, and it's obviously as I've gotten older and, and better at what I do, you know, that's the only thing really that I want to shoot. So, so that lesson that my dad gave me so many different times is, has paid big dividends for me, like huge dividends, all my big deer because of that. And, and in my, I owe that to my dad because he was, he's like, I'm optimistic, but people don't understand. My dad is like me. He's optimistic or that's a word. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? And I like hunting with people that are optimistic and there were times when I can look back and go, man, I was, I, I should have sucked it up and been more optimistic, but my dad always brought me back to center. That giant uh, drop time buck that my brother killed with his bow. That was my dad bringing, bringing my brother back to center. Son, why would we go somewhere else? Why wouldn't we go over to this area where this big buck is at and continue to try to kill him? And, and guess what? They killed him. They got him. So that's number one. Um, what would be number two? You can't shoot big deer if you shoot little deer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that I mean, one hurt. That one hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 everybody's hunting journey is different. And I'm not gonna again. 
if, if I ever come off as a know-it-all, I want someone to slap me. And I, I mean that sincerely because I don't want to sound like that ever, ever to anybody. But but if you're into the trophy hunting, I mean, you can't, you just got to be, you got to be okay with not filling a tag at some point in your life because otherwise you're just going to keep filling tags with what you're filling tags with. Maybe you get lucky and get a big one along the journey. That would be cool. But um, I would say as far as trophy hunting, when I st- when I was when I started being okay with coming home with nothing is 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 when well, I started you know staying on big deer. And the key there, you know, because I I have I've I've progressed quite a bit since uh, you and I you know hung out on that hunt. And I, you know, if if people haven't put that story together from this podcast, you know, basically I'm in a you know what's basically one of the trophy units in New Mexico, and I had high high hopes, and I just knew that you know, I was going to, um, you know, shoot a certain size of buck and then four and a half days of not seeing a single buck over two and a half wears you down. And I just couldn't help it. And I was the fear of not punching a tag was greater than my desire to kill a big buck. Okay. And fast forward to to this last year, I go, I hunt three trophy, not okay. One, one was a, one was a bomber tag in Nevada, right. That had the potential to be a big, big buck tag. And I chased a big, a big buck, 180 inch deer. Couldn't, couldn't get it. The other one was just a crap unit in Colorado, but still, you know, I, I found a buck in there that was worth uh, punching my tag. And then just the Wyoming general tag that I have here. And everyone knows the potential that's there. Right. Um, <laughs> struck out on all three and the difference here. And here's, here's the key takeaway um, and I think we'll sum up what you're saying is at the end of those three hunts, an entire year, right? I don't know how many days, you know, average five to seven days per hunt. So, you know, 20 uh, something days, probably at least. Um, I was so at peace with not punching a tag. I was because it, it wasn't even it, it didn't affect me. I wasn't. In other words, if you go uh, through if you have a tag and you go through a season or that that season and don't fill your tag and it makes you sick, you're probably not ready to hunt as big a bucks as you were trying to find or whatever. Right. If you were passing up deer on the hunt because you think that you're ready to hunt 180 inch deer. And then you get, you know, you pass on one and it makes you sick or you pass on, you know, a bunch of small deer at the end of the year, at the end of the season. And like you said, if you're not okay, not punching that tag, then that's your answer. You're not there yet. Right. I, you got it. I could not have been happier about the way the season went because it was more about sticking to my, what my goal was. And I did that to a T, like I was so proud of myself and I would do that. I would hunt that same year all over again every year Duggar I would do the exact same thing every single year for the rest of my life and be completely fine not punching a tag you know and so that's that hopefully will give guys a a calibration to know you know if what if you're ready for that or not I don't know you know and again not trying to sound I'm definitely not braggy I'm just on this journey trying to get to places where like you and Carter and you know some of these other guys are but you know that for me was an eye-opener was like holy cow that just ended with me not punching three tags. And I was, I was completely fine with that. You know, I love that, man. Yeah. You're a better articulator than me. That's, that's exactly what I, how I meant to say that that's perfect. And yeah. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So, and then if, if, if I have to give them three, a a big third one would be, um, 
um, when you have a plan or if, if you found a, a big buck or this could apply to stocking a buck that you've located, it, can, it has many applications in the hunting world. But whenever you go to exec, execute a plan, execute it to the end, no matter what. And so what, what I mean by that is, is I can give you two examples of this, the same mistake that I made two times. I've never made it again, and I never will make it again. I learned my lesson, and, and, and it, it's associated with when you make a plan, execute it. If you have faith in that plan, or it, not even if you have faith in the plan, if you if you think it's a pretty good plan, have faith in it and execute it to the end. One of them was a timberline, a really big deer bedded under a little ram. I got all the way over there. I got a, kind of above him. I knew I was really close, and I sat there for a long time. The wind just barely hit me in the back of the neck, just a little tiny bit. And I'm thinking, well, if that buck was still there, I mean, he would have blew out. He would have smelled me right then and there. But I had this feeling like, well, I would have seen him blow out. Like, I haven't seen him leave. I haven't seen him move. There's no trees. You know, it was pretty high at Timberline. You know, and I feel like I should have seen him. But then, I, then I'm like, no, there's no way he would have smelled me. So I took my arrow off my string because I didn't want it to be safe. And it, in, with safety in mind, I put it in my quiver. I put my hand on a rock and I jumped down onto the rock below me. That thing was seven yards underneath me when it blew out of there. Seven yards, 190 inch five by four, seven yards. Can you imagine, a, you know, how cool that would have been if I just waited out, just, just, just had, ex, had faith in the execution of my plan, had faith in the feeling that I had that, hey, that buck still got to be there instead of second guessing myself mm. and messing it up. He, he would have stood up and I would have seen his antlers coming up with an arrow knock and I would have just smoked him. Yeah. And so... That was one. The other one was in Colorado on more oaky, you know, more flat ground, oak brush, uh, Ponderosa country. And I saw some bucks going to a ravine. So I snuck over there and I never saw them come out. And then there was a couple small ones. They came out and I waited oh, another hour and a half. And I'm like, well, shoot, that big buck must already, he must've went out in front of those little bucks. He got out when I wasn't looking at him. So this time when I was much younger, I just stood up and snapped my arrow off my string, stuck it in my quiver, and that thing exploded out of that draw like at 30 yards. <laughs> hey, Branson, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So, so if there's one thing I've really learned is the better I've got at it, whenever I have that feeling or, or I have a plan like, hey, this is going to work, whether it's stalking a deer or whether it's going to glass for a deer, you know, fully thinking there's going to be that big buck that I know is in there somewhere there. When I when I say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to glass for this deer till noon, I don't leave at eight o'clock. So when I make a plan, I execute it to the end. And I think good things happen when you do that. Yeah, that'd least, be number three. At least, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I've been there where you stalk a bed and you just you just convince yourself. No, he's he's gone. Like, there's no way that he would still be here for because of this or this or this. Or, you know, I crinkled that rock 100 yards up when I was coming over the ridge and I'm sure he heard that and, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. And I've been there. There was one time in Nevada where I saw it through to the end. Like I sat there and basically dehydrated myself because I was like you said, I was just hell bent on. Nope. Like he's there. And if he's, I haven't seen him leave, you know, that's kind of the theme of what you just said is like, if you, ha if you don't have hard evidence that something's changed, like then it probably hasn't. And like you said, what else are you going to go do? You know, that's another thing. It's like, like, what are you going to go do? Go back to camp and make a, make a sandwich, you know, like, 
you know, like back, back to your original, you know, when you, you made that comment, that hard to swallow pill of like, you know, guys love just getting back as quick as they can to talk about what they're going to do next. And it's like, <laughs> what, yeah. what better could you be doing than just stand here and make sure that buck's not out of here yet, I guess. But you got it. How many times Dustin, have you wasted, have you wasted a hunt away thinking that you should have been somewhere else the whole hunt? Oh yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, is I'm not saying you stayed in one place the whole hunt. I'm just saying no matter where you went, you just were like, Oh shoot. The sun's going down. I gotta, I gotta get out of this ground blind and I gotta go drive over and look over this rim over here. Yeah. No, stay in your ground blind, e- execute your plan to the end. I guess that's what I'm trying to say because in my younger years, I would like, because the hunts are so short sometimes in the West, they conditioned you to do that, right? You're like, I only have so many, we call it prime times. I only have so many mornings, so many evenings. I only have so much opportunity. And so, you know, you make a decision and you feel like it's a good decision, but a quarter to halfway through that decision, you're either sitting on a rim or in a ground blight tree stand, or you're, or you're trying to track a deer up or whatever, you know, it's really easy halfway through that or a quarter way through that to abandon that plan and, and, and fail to finish the execution of it to the end. And, and I think that when, you know, every time I've ever done that, it's, I've wasted whole hunts away doing that. Yeah. And so to make a good choice, make a good decision, but execute that plan, whether it's a half a day plan, a full day plan, a three day plan, it's always going to be different, but execute it to the end, no matter what. Yeah. And that kind of is also, it also is associated or tied in with, being okay with with not filling a tag i mean you know there's a direct correlation with that if you're okay with that it's easier to execute that plan to the end and i've had some really good things happen to me when i did that yeah grass is kind of the grass is greener syndrome you know and then not just not being patient yep you got it yep yeah well i love it man i uh geez i i don't know um any other, any other like key tidbits or anything that you miss that you want to touch on or? Um, I don't think so. I mean, like I said, you, you could keep feeding me questions and I'd keep blabbing for a long yeah. time. So I, and I don't have any problem with doing that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I could end it on uh, no, no Carter. I'm not going to call a bunch of three points. I'm only going to shoot them. If I think they'll make Boone. <laughs> <laughs> If that buck didn't break 108, I mean, I know Boone and Crockett's what 185 you're shooting for there. It's got a net 190. Net 190. Yeah, okay, he's probably not there. But I was gonna say, if that buck didn't didn't at least gross in the 180s, then I would be. I don't know. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. I, I I've run the tape on that deer many times. He just lacks mass. He's. I'm I'm thinking he's probably netting in the high 170s. What it would what it would take would be that buck with more mass. And just maybe maybe just slightly bigger tines. But the thing about that is, is it's going to have to be like perfectly symmetrical. You're not yeah. going to be able to give away asymmetry on it. But I think there's, I think the one exists. I, I think it would be a cool looking deer too, you know, on your wall. So well, I've got, yeah. um, oh man, I've so I've I shot a two by three. Speaking of trail cameras, this is a perfect example of that a deer that. I was thinking of that would have never had any business dying if we didn't run a trail camera, right? We literally um, check a trail camera on a desert remote, like this is like a sheep guzzler, okay, down in southern Utah that isn't even designed for mule deer. And this thing pops on this camera. And this is like two days before the hunt opens. We go back in. We don't even go in there until opening morning. 
and we sneak in before daylight, get on the one little glassing tit that's in this huge desert basin. Um, and sure enough, we find this buck like, you know, on the other side, maybe a half mile across the, from the water hole, heading up into his bed, you know, just like, anyway, um, is that huge two by three. And he, I'd have to go back and read. So we taped him, <clears throat> we, we taped him, you know, and it's really hard to tape a two by three with little crap, little stickers coming off in random places. Cause I don't, I'll be honest. I don't know if I'm taping him correctly. You know what I'm saying? But if you mm-hmm. just kind of tape him the way you tape a normal meal there and just kind of add it all together, he was like 171 inch, I think, or 172 inch, uh, gross, of course, two by mm-hmm. two by three. And, <laughs> That's cool. And so I'd I'd have to go run that tape on the on the three on the three point side of him and then double it and see if he would there even be close. Because if if he's not close, like if he doesn't hit that then there's no way like that's the biggest framed two by three deer. He, when I put him in that 190, whatever five or hundred and whatever, 90 plus deer that I killed in Colorado next to each other, they had the same frame. Like he probably had a slightly bigger frame to be honest, but anyway, yeah, that's, I I remember, I remember the buck you're talking about. I remember seeing pictures of it. Yeah, just yeah, it was big. It was dude, really big. I would shoot that deer every year the rest of my life if I see him. Like that, it was he's incredible. Like it's the biggest frame deer I've ever I've ever seen. Honestly, I think he's slightly bigger than that hundred and ninety plus, but crazy. Yeah. Well, Duggar, those are, cool. those are those are cool bucks, man. I love I love stuff like that. Yeah. What uh, I mean, I I know you kind of answered this indirectly by stating that you don't leave your home court, but I mean, are there any big western hunt plans that you have or just kind of sticking close to home i know you so for those who don't know um duggar runs uh i i stepped in there i shot some arrows with you and stuff you run you own not run you own um expert archery right that's what you call it yes down in farmington area you got it you got it i mean just world i could tell you guys had a a a world-class deal going there you had the leagues and shoots and tons of people signed up for them and looks like you guys had the culture going, which is the sign of a good pro shop. You know what I mean? You walk into, you know, no offense, but you walk into some of these local ones here and it's like the archery shops dead. There's not a winter hardcore winter league, you know, and it's just kind of like, anyway, you guys are clearly doing it right. But so, so that, what I'm saying is that drags up a lot of your actual bow hunting time, ironically. And you, do you spend more time on the later hunts down there, the rifle and muzzy? Yeah, I do. And that's, that's why I put in for those hunts, you know, with Colorado, with their archery starting like the first of September. Now it used to be in August and Utah starts in August and all these hunts that are bow hunts, early bow hunts, that's our peak season. I mean, we're selling stuff like crazy at that time. So I really can't afford to be away from our shop. It's me and my daughter and one other employee and we, we stay hooked up like you wouldn't believe. So, so yes, uh, September 15th is the last day that the elk hunts the archery elk hunts start in New Mexico and that's when our business tapers off. And so I always apply for hunts that are after that. So it'll be, I apply for late September hunts. I, I apply for, uh, apply October hunts, apply November hunts, sometimes for the January bow hunts down here, not real frequently on that, but yeah, after that's done. So basically right now, so I've got 17 points in Utah that I'm, you know, trying to find a place to burn because that's just for, for, um, uh, no, <laughs> not for elk. 
<laughs> that's funny. No, for uh, a limited entry gear. <laughs> Almost had you. <laughs> that was a good one, man. You just paused like uh, yeah. oh, like what in the world? Yeah, I never went in for Elk in Utah ever. So you know what? This is going to make people just cringe when I say this, but there's many years that I don't even apply for Elk in New Mexico. I just, you know, because I because I got applications going, you know, hey. to Colorado and to, to other places. Speaking but. of my progression, Dugger, you'd be proud of me, okay? I had the epiphany driving to work the other morning because this is well, this is on my mind, right? Application season, it's just getting started, mm-hmm. and the thought crossed my mind. Hey, man, if you're really serious about this, like it's probably like I was. Not, not the thought crossed my mind, but the urge. I had the urge to not apply for what would be a good example, Arizona elk, right? It's so, (laughs) it's so freaking far. And I know there's big bulls, but it's so freaking far. And it's like this big, like, you know, that I'm like, Hey, like I'm almost excited just to do points down there. So I don't even have to stress about drawing one of those tags. So I know I can focus on my Wyoming mule deer hunt. Oh <laughs> boy. I love it. I love it. I'm proud. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I got, I mean, I have those points in Utah and then I got, I have enough. I have a, I draw that Colorado deer tag usually with one point. I've got a point. My son's really, really getting into hunting, not getting into hunting. He's been into hunting, but had his struggle to draw tags. And so I think I'm going to let him catch up on points and him and I are going to go on a migration trail in Colorado with a gun. He shot his second buck this year down here in 2B. He shot a nice little four by three buck. And Is that Mark? Your, boy, your boy Mark? <laughs> <laughs> no, not my boy Mark. <laughs> That's no, no, my actual, my actual son camera. And uh, so he just, you know, it's kind of a bummer because he just loves hunting so much. And, you know, I've, I've put him in for what I felt like was, you know, a lot of tags that are, that are not super hard to draw gives him a lot of chances like those rifle hunts in 2B, you know, over three months, there's 1200 chances. And, you know, so I put him in for those and he's just really a struggle to draw, which is a real bummer, but he finally drew a second tag this year and, and made a great shot on a really nice buck, hiked in back behind one of those locked gates and, and some came up and we glassed up, found it and killed. It was really cool. But anyway, my point with that is I think I might sit out Colorado this year to let him catch up and take him next year. And then honestly, what I'm doing, this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people, but of course I've been all over the place this winter, um, filming and, 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 you know, basically trying to find my next victim or I sometimes, some, sometimes I say it as, you know, trying to try to find an excuse to put in for certain units is what I say. I'm trying, I'm looking for an excuse, you know? And so actually I've found a few excuses and, and I, that's what I've been doing for the last several years. And I'm a lucky guy because I'll, it seems like every time I find something that's worth chasing, I'll, you know, I'll get a tag within the next year or two years and stuff kind of lines out. I know that's not going to always happen because well, the draw, the draws are horrible, but that's kind of how I play it. And people will think that's crazy because I kind of sit back patiently and wait a lot of times. And, you know, I'm really good. You're, this is going to make you cringe. I'm really good with sitting out a year um, and just looking around and, and keeping my finger on the pulse of all these, all these deer growing up or something's popping over here, something's popping over there. Or, hey, you know, nobody's hunting over here anymore because they've got disinterested. And a lot of times I'll go to places where there's hardly any deer, so I don't have to deal with people. And, 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 and I'll, and I'll run into a, a really large buck in places like that. That's kind of become my MO, actually. I, I like to go where nobody's going to ever go because it's not going to be fun. 
and then, you know, hang trail cameras and, you know, look, look at the rut in some of those places and, and kind of just getting a feel for where I think I want to apply. And then I'll apply based on what I see. Well, there's like, I mean, if we break this down into real general levels, you know, level one guy, and then you progress to where I'm at, like a level two guy that's, you know, willing to hold out and is happy about, you know, not, not, uh, you know, cutting your, your goals short or whatever that's a level three guy. And I've heard a few of you guys talk about that. Uh, Robbie Denning, I think, I think off the top of my head, I think he was the guy who mentioned that where he, whoever it was basically said that he will literally go scout. Maybe it was David long Judas. I don't know. There's a couple hardcore guys like you guys that are just on that level three. Anyway, one, one of, one of you guys made the comment that, um, they're out scouting ahead of actually putting in for hunts and my mind just like boom, like you know that's so hard it is it's so hard for me to think about you know well I'll, I, I want the tag in my pocket and I'll go figure it out but the mature the real wise big buck hunter will know that he has a prospect before he even steps foot in there right especially especially if it's a if it's a, a unit that takes you points to draw right you got it because yeah, you're so much yeah. at risk and you know especially in the the point creep nowadays i mean you know if it's my home tag now of wyoming where i can get it every year who gives a crap of course i'm going to get that tag because i get it every year for free but if it's your 17 point i i will bet my left leg not my left you know what but my left leg <laughs> i'll bet my, i need i still need that but i'll bet my left leg that you're going to pre-scout uh, a buck or at least an area in Utah before you dump all those points. Am I wrong? I'm working on it right now. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I joined Epic and, and had that discussion with Carter the other day and man, he's awesome. He was really helpful. And so, yeah, I'm starting to try to put my finger on that pulse and, and kind of head that way because I don't want to, I don't want to be 60 years old and can't walk with those points. You know, I want to yeah. be able to burn those points and have a decent shot at you know, at a, at a good buck. And that's what everybody wants when they get that many points for sure. But, but yeah, I do, I scout out ahead and, and I'm okay with sitting out. Um, but, but I'm not okay with not drawing when I need to draw. And that happens a lot too, yeah. but, well, the but, tough. It's, but, but, but the, 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 the worst thing for me is going into a hunt without a, uh, without a buck that I want to chase. How, how would I put that better without it? I don't want to say target buck because I, I don't know. Everybody says target buck, but w without, Without a prize to chase, I well, guess I'll be, say it. Being in a unit, you know, being in a unit that doesn't hold the type of deer that you're after, I, th I think, you know, just, I mean, I, I've done that to myself. That was one of my notes that I just covered in my last podcast that was a solo one that I don't, I, I haven't released it yet, but it'll be out pretty quick. And the way I put it was, um, you know, I guess entertaining distractions maybe, uh, but but basically just putting myself in a place to succeed you know, and I, I think, I think we're saying the same thing as like, you know, don't just go into a unit to go into a unit and not be, you know, what, not have the, hold the deer that you're after. You got it. And this might sound really crazy too. I'm, I know I'm saying that a lot because I feel like I'm cr crazy or something, but it's, you know, I, I would almost rather like when I wake up in my wall tent on day one of a hunt and I don't have anything specific to chase, I'm almost more lost than if I didn't have the tag at all. Yeah. And, and I would almost be like, rather, I'd rather be somewhere where nobody else is at trying to find the next buck or the next place I'm going to apply while people were hunting. Yeah. 
rather than wake up with a tag in my pocket and look around and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. Does that make sense? It, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, I'm going to yeah. label this the hard to swallow pod, the hard to pill to swallow podcast. Cause that, I mean, <laughs> again, you want to go the next level, like, you know, get to the point where you're, you're applying with a purpose. We'll call it right. I think is kind of a summarization of what you're saying. Like you're, you're not just applying and then hoping that there's a deer there. <laughs> uh, right. You, you have a right. pretty preset, you know, you have a pretty preset idea of, of what you're after when you're there, or, you know, at least, at least that there was, or at one point there was a big buck there or something, but. Yeah, you got it. And I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to sound uppity at all. It's just, I think that age does that to you too. And, you know, I'm, I'm heading into my mid fifties and, you know, I've, I've done a lot of hunting and I've, I've done a lot of things. And I think that the age makes it easier to make those choices because when I was younger, there's no way in heck I would be talking like this. I was a totally different guy back then. So I think that age does that. And, uh, and just well, it kind of changes, and, it changes you in that way. Yeah. And, and you've, you've killed a lot of big bucks and you know how, you know how few and far between those actually are. And so you have to be deliberate. Like you just, you know, I'm, uh, I learned that lesson year after year when I go to these crap units and man, I, let me back up. Like I, but, but you just, you've done this enough that you understand how hard it is. And so you understand what's, what's at risk here and what, you know, what it's going to take and how to be successful at it. Yeah. And I think picking and choosing too. And I know that a lot of the guys that really like to hunt mule deer use Colorado is the, is the place that they can go to escape their brain and have a, what I would call quote unquote, a fun time with no stress and pressure of a, of a target buck. Does that make sense? So, so I use, you know, we go every other one or two years to that migration trail. We know that those deer coming off those peaks and stuff, there's going to be some big deer coming through there. So we know that there's a really legit chance to shoot a really big deer every year you sit there. And I don't know, we've killed, I don't know how many we've killed now. There are four or five or five or six bucks that are like in the 170 range. Yeah. And so we're doing, we're doing a good job of shooting those bucks, but you have to assess them so quickly coming down that trail that you have to go into that hunt knowing if it's mature, I'm going to shoot it. And I'm going to be okay with whatever it is. And I'm going to have a really good time. So that's definitely one of my outlets for having a really good time with kind of low stress. And so I'll always do that. But, but so I guess every hunt has a different, has a different goal in mind, but there's not very many for me. There's only kind of that one. And then there's the ones that, you know, I want to wake up out of my wall tent and know that I've got something to chase. And if I don't have something to chase, I just, it just is not as, it's sort of there. I'd rather not be there. I'd rather be trying to find something to chase next year. So yeah. that's kind of how I, how I, how I do it. And that was a long answer to your question. What do you have planned this fall? That's kind of what I got planned. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> I hope I draw. I hope I draw. Cause I can tell you, I've found a couple of what Mark Smith calls treasures. I found a couple of treasures. And so, so I'm, so I'm hoping to pull the tags. I may or may not. We'll see what happens. If not, well, I'll, I'll go fly fishing. I like that. Yeah. too. <laughs> and the, the two edged sword of New Mexico is that, um, you know, you, you don't have any points. And so every year we're all starting, you know, if you're non-resident, you're all starting at the same place. And so that's, I love New Mexico for that. Cause I, it's my flex, you know, I, I, I can either use it aggressively or I can use it extremely conservatively. You know, if I <clears throat> feel like I don't want to, you know, draw a tag unless it's one of the prime, you know, best, then I, then I stick to the, the top one or two in the state, um, whether it's deer or elk or, you know, the sheep tags or whatever. But then if it's a year where I just feel like, Hey, I just want to be hunting a deer and, you know, in October or whatever, then I can use that a little more aggressively. And there's a lot of tags that you can, have a lot better chance, but there's no bonus points. So it's kind of a, a unique 
state to apply in every year. Yeah, honestly, I hope that we never go to any sort of a point system. No. I, I like the way it is because if you take like a 20 year, you know, a 20 year cross section, you know, you're, even if you're unlucky, you're going to hunt more times than, than some of these other states where you want to hunt a high end unit that have preference points or bonus points. It's just a fact. I mean, even if you're an unlucky guy, you're probably going to hunt deer two or three or four times in a 20 year span in New Mexico as a resident. So well, look, yeah, we need I'm, to keep it the same way it is for sure. Yeah. At this point, I mean, I, I think a state would be crazy with the mess that they've seen bonus points create in these other states because the demand is just, you know, we can say that there's less hunters or whatever that debate is, you know, regardless, there's more of the hunters who are here. One thing is clear. There's more demand from the hunters that are here. In other words, you know, more guys from Wyoming are wanting to go hunt New Mexico probably. And so um, the mess that some of these, uh, states with bonus point creep is creating, um, is just, it, it's, it's, uh, overwhelming. You know, you get, you get sick watching there, Duggar, there's a guy I was looking, I was reading through the, uh, Arizona, I think he has third, there's one non-resident that has 32 elk points in Arizona. And I'm just, oh like, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like that gives me anxiety thinking about that. But anyway, yeah, there's, I don't, I don't, I hope New Mexico never changes because it's exactly what you said. It's just, it is what it is. And, and, uh, that's the beauty of it. But. Yeah. Can you imagine the pressure on that guy when he <laughs> finally gets his guy? I bet he dies. I bet he dies with him. If you get, if you can go to 32, you can go to 64 points and he's probably on his way <laughs> and he'll just die with them. He won't use them. <laughs> Man. But if he draws that pressure is going to be immense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I could handle, I don't know if I could handle that. Yeah. What, what size of elk in New Mexico equals 32 points? Like, yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even with the guider outfitter, I mean, there's no guarantees ever. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. And imagine if you were the outfitter that got that guy with the, the <laughs> pressure that you would feel, you know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Crazy. Well, cool, man. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here and then, uh, yeah, just hopefully, uh, you know, keep having you on maybe every, you know, every other, uh, five or six months or something like that and touch base with you. Cause you're just, uh, a wealth of knowledge. So I want to give you credit for that. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're a mentor that I've looked up to in the field, literally. And then just, you know, through podcasts and sharing your information and, and, uh, you know, it's, and watching all your awesome, uh, footage, you know, from just years past. And it, it took, you posted a picture just the other or earlier today or yesterday or something. Anyway, it just blue jean days, you know, when we were taking pictures with 35 mil probably and, um, taking them to the Walmart to get them, you know, developed. And that's what type of photo it looked like. And you had this freaking bruiser, like 190 something with two stickers coming out. And I'm just like, gosh, dang, man. Like, you know, you just, you've been at this a long time and I appreciate you willing to share your knowledge. So. Yeah, absolutely, Dustin. And I hope you draw again and I hope I can maybe not have a tag the year you do and we'll spend a whole lot with you. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. Hey. No, yeah. you are, you've done more than almost anyone I've ever uh, come across as far as uh, just giving some direction and stuff. So again, uh, appreciate, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank Thank you for having me and for the talk. I love talking about it. So yep. Thanks buddy. You betcha. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. 
But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.